From the capital city, I'm Kevin Allen. There's an update to the crash near Auk Lake. Juneau Police Lieutenant Craig Campbell said Capital City Fire and Rescue did locate the white pickup that was submerged in Auk Lake in about 14 feet of water. We did issue an update this morning on our press release, which is available on our website. Uh, we were able to confirm with CCFR and dive teams that the man believed to be the driver of the vehicle uh, was located uh, deceased inside, uh, which was the vehicle which was submerged underwater. Uh, Next of was notified of that death. The death has been identified as 19-year-old Juno resident Hunter Dayton Frederick. Campbell said the passengers of the vehicle have been identified as an 18-year-old male and a 19-year-old male, both Juno residents. He said they are attempting to locate one of the passengers to determine if he was injured during the crash. We are still trying to locate one of the people that was believed to be a passenger in the vehicle as... Um, the two passengers were we, what we believe to be were uh, thrown from the vehicle at some point during the crash. Uh, at least one sustained some minor injuries. They gone to the hospital, but they also were gone prior to police arrival. Uh, we're still trying to locate the um, the third pass or individual of the, uh, of the vehicle that was a passenger, and thankfully we have confirmed that the person uh, did get out but we just haven't been able to locate them yet. And said they are continuing to investigate. It's a sad scene for the, the family who's dealing with that loss um, of the death of their loved one. And, uh, you know, it's a case we're still investigating and trying to determine uh, the cause of the crash and uh, all those things that we normally do during a death investigation. The Juno Canvas Review Board completed its work on the October 4th Juno regular municipal election, and the election official has now certified the final results. The Canvas Review Board began its work on Monday and completed its review yesterday. The Assembly and School Board incumbents all ran unopposed for their seats and were each re-elected to three-year terms. Proposition 1 to issue $35 million in general obligation bonds for a new city hall failed to pass, with 4,394 voting yes, while 4,640 voted no. On Proposition 2 to issue $6.6 million in job general obligation bonds for trails and park maintenance, that one passed with 6,120 yes votes and 2,947 no votes. Proposition 3, which would authorize the extension of the temporary 1% sales tax starting October 1, 2023 for the next five years, passed with 6,247 voting yes and 2,827 voting no. Proposition 4. The citizens' referendum to repeal city code related to the disclosure of real estate values in transactions passed with 4,693 voting yes, while 4,327 voted no. The city said a more detailed report on the election statistics will be provided to the assembly and the public at the October 24th regular assembly meeting, at which the assembly reorganization will take place. Director of Marketing and Communications for Bartlett Regional Hospital, Aaron Hardin, spoke on a new mask policy change that they are now optional. 
Hardin went into more detail on what to expect with this policy change. Really effective immediately. Masks are now optional for visitors, for patients, and for staff in most areas of our hospital. Staff are going to continue to wear a mask when they're providing direct patient care. Anytime a staff member is doing any kind of hands-on, face-to-face contact with a patient, they will continue to mask. But for our visitors and patients coming in and out of the hospital, they no longer need to wear a mask. We are recommending that patients and visitors put one on when they're interacting with other individuals in the facility. Where masking remains required in the hospital is for patients who are symptomatic or have a confirmed COVID or other respiratory infection. Hardin said the hospital's screening process is still in effect. They will still ask to be screened uh, when you walk into the hospital. So just for folks to be aware, when you come onto campus and you walk in our main entrance, we have a, a screening station there. So there will still be someone that checks in with you and just makes sure that you don't have any active symptoms. And spoke on what went into this decision. So the, the primary driver in the decision-making is that the community transmission rates here in Juneau have dropped recently from the high level to the substantial level. Per the CDC, they recommend that healthcare facilities use community transmission rates of COVID to determine mitigation measures, masking being one of those measures. Juno has had a low community level of COVID for quite some time, meaning not a lot of COVID in the community. We haven't seen a lot of COVID patients in the hospital, which is great news. But our transmission rates of COVID have been high. We anticipated that those that number was going to start to drop based on the testing levels that we were seeing here, and this past week, that officially happened. Hardin said that if Juno's transmission rate increases, masks would go back to being required. So what we have communicated is that we're going to continue with optional masking as long as our community transmission rate stay in the substantial or lower levels. So there's a low, moderate, substantial, and high. There are four different transmission levels that the CDC has defined. So as long as we are below high, we plan to continue with optional masking. The Alaska Heritage Institute has received a federal grant to expand its storage capacity for online digital collections by more than 600%. They said the grant from the Institute of Museum and Library Services will expand the Institute's storage capabilities to manage more than 300 terabytes of materials, including digitized photos, videos, and other archival documents. The new system will also streamline the process of uploading digital materials to the Institute's online database, they said making them more readily accessible to researchers worldwide at any time. Under the award, Alaska Heritage Institute President Rosita Worrell said the Institute will also revamp its digital preservation policy to ensure archival practices are based on the most current professional standards and incorporate the next generation of preservation guidelines. This year's Alaska general election absentee ballot is a hefty document, weighing in between 1.1 and 1.2 ounces. If it were an ordinary letter, that's weighty enough to need two stamps. But officials at the Alaska Division of Elections and the U.S. Postal Service say this year's absentee ballots will still be carried and counted with just one stamp, according to the Alaska Beacon. The first absentee ballots for the November 8th general election have already been sent, and the design of the return envelope includes a box for only one stamp. But fine print in the absentee ballot instructions say to attach 84 cents worth of postage. 
19 states prepay postage for their absentee ballots, according to records kept by the National Conference of State Legislatures. Alaska is not one of the 19, and a proposal to change that failed to pass the Alaska legislature as part of a broader election reform bill this year. The deadline to request an absentee ballot by mail is October 29th. Juno Huskies coach Rich Soros joined Angel Montgomery on Capital Chat to talk about the state championship Friday night. He said that 12 team members from the previous season are trying for the win once more, and they have a total of 88 players. Soros talked about where the Huskies are headed tomorrow. Well, we're heading up to Anchorage. We got through the state semis here last weekend against East, and uh, now we'll be heading on the road for the state championship game Friday night against Colony Knights. The game will be at Service High School. Oh. Kickoffs at 6.30 p.m. People can tune in on the uh, NFHS network. Uh, we were in that game last year. Unfortunately, we weren't able to come away with a win, but still great experience for those kids that were part of it. He also shared the experience of combining Juno's two high school teams into the Huskies. At Juno Douglas High School back in 2003, remember when we had just the Crimson Bears, and then Thunder Mountain came online in, I believe it was 2009, they got their team rolling, and so we had two teams at that point, and that lasted all the way up until 2018 is when it came back together. Financial reasons, it was really hard to support two teams in town. Our numbers were starting to, to shrink a little bit, so even though we had two teams, they still weren't you know robust rosters, and so is that any kid in Juno can play for the Huskies. Soros also said the Huskies are bringing back their haunted drive through So it's going to be at the Mendenhall Campground, change in venue this year, but we're, we're super excited. We, it was just such a big hit yeah. last year. And, and so as soon as we get back from the state finals, we'll you know, put the finishing touches on that, but it'll be October 28th and 29th. That'll be a, it's a drive through again. Mm-hmm. So uh, load up your car and bring the kiddos out and come through and get some candy and, and get scared by everybody. It'll be from 6 p.m. to midnight on the 28th, 29th, and then on the 30th, which is Sunday, it'll be 6 to 10. He said it'll be $20 a car. Soros said the community support means a lot to the Huskies. It's been a challenge for us this year to make ends meet. Obviously, airfare is expensive, hotels, vans, all that kind of stuff. Yesterday, we had some businesses really come through and help donate. You can always go to Juno Huskies uh, website, uh, junohuskiesfootball.com, or find them on Facebook. And there's a couple avenues there where people can donate and help our program out. I just am proud to be the coach of the Juno Huskies. Bartlett Regional Hospital and Anchor Counseling and Consulting will be hosting the first annual Real Talk Walk Run event this Saturday at the airport trail. Bartlett's perinatal education manager, Sarah Gress, spoke to what's planned. So we have the Real Talk Walk and Run is a fun run for youth children, adults, toddlers, we've got something for everybody. So Saturday starting at 9 a.m. we've got a toddler trot which is 80 yards and then we've got a half mile uh, run for older youth and then we've got the one mile walk and run and 5k walk and run for adults. Terry Forst is a licensed professional counselor and owner of Anchor Counseling and Consulting. Forst said what real talk is about. There is no cost. This is a free event. We are really just hoping to raise awareness about some of the topics that our support groups are oriented towards. So Real Talk is coming from the name of uh, one of our primary support groups that we offer called Real Talk for Mothers. It's aimed at people in the what we call perinatal period, so surrounding pregnancy, surrounding birth, really aimed at discussing some of the harder parts of parenthood, motherhood, that don't always get talked about in other spaces. Gress gave a few additional details. And no cost and no registration, just show up and there'll be 
hot drinks, snacks for the kids, uh, free shirts for the first 30 adult and 30 youth. Forrest summarized Real Talk's focus. Different signs that show, you know, how to support a new mother, how to talk about loss. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're a family member or a friend and you know someone's experienced a loss, here's some things to say because we so often hear, I didn't know what to say, so Mm -hmm. I didn't say anything at all. And that allows the silence to continue and the isolation for those experiencing this. So we're going to have a ton of tips on, you know, what to do if you've experienced it or if someone you know has experienced it. And the flyers for all of our groups will be there as well. Another example of potentially deadly fentanyl pills, which look like candy, being packaged by drug dealers and candy wrappers to try to avoid detection. ABC's Alex Stone has details from Los Angeles. As a traveler was heading through TSA security at LAX on Wednesday, that was not candy in the Skittles, Sweet Tarts, and Whoppers packaging. An L.A. County Sheriff's Department and DEA Drug Task Force is reporting it found 12,000 fentanyl pills and candy packaging as a passenger smuggling them was heading through airport security. That person took off before police arrived, but investigators say they have identified a suspect. The Sheriff's Department is reminding parents with the threat of the new fentanyl smuggling tactic that they need to check their children's Halloween candy this year. Alex Stone, ABC News, Los Angeles. Never miss a story or a newscast at KINYradio.com. Now you're up to date. For News of the North, this is Kevin Allen.